Welcome back to Six Pennies Podcast, guys. We love the video podcast from last Hello. time. We're going to continue it. How's it going, guys? Good. We're here. Ready to talk some MJ. Yes, yeah. We, we promise everyone we're going to talk about Michael Jordan, the last dance documentary. Um, episodes one and two were debuted this past Sunday. Um, and Nice mock with the North Carolina jersey. I'm wearing a North Carolina hat. Jordan... Jordan uh, zip up. So, um, I mean, it was awesome, right? You guys, was there any negative feedback? I'll start with you, Timmy. Was there anything you didn't like about it? Uh, it was incredible. It had me captivated from the start. Um, I was having a little trouble streaming it. I was really frustrated by that, um, but it ended up catching <laughs> it up later. Uh, I think the only was thing it, that I had... Was it LA, LA Timmy? Um, I I was impressed by uh, the number of people that they got. They got everybody to interview. Literally anybody who was involved, who was alive, was in it. I was a little... Former Chicago resident, Barack Obama. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Anytime you can get two presidents in the first two episodes, two former presidents, that's pretty impressive. Um, I was... I didn't love the jumping back and forth in the timeline, the way they did it. I feel like I would have liked if they just spent more time strictly on one section, although I understand how they and why they did it that way. Um, interesting way for them to do it. I'm curious what it's going to look like moving forward. Did you guys know the director of The Last Dance is also the director Iverson? of Bad Five? Oh, and oh. Iverson? I know it's Iverson because he, I, the story from, uh, from Bill Simmons when he was talking with the guy was that, uh, what, is it Mike Tallinn? Is that uh, he went to jordan to get permission i think um when jordan saw that he did the iverson doc he was like oh i watched that three times i love that guy and that's oh. what that was one of the things that um made him change his mind and allow him to do the doc nice. i think that i think the director's name is jason hire oh maybe i'm thinking about... the uh, the producer or okay. whoever it is that put yeah, it jason hire J- jason hire did a lot of the fat five and then mm-hmm. obviously he's doing last dance um so before we dive into it Let's give a quick shout out to Farmers Insurance and Derek Shaw. Um, he is our presenting sponsor. He's been our presenting sponsor since day one. Please give him a call at 214-729-6462. That's 214-729-6462. He'll give you a free life auto home insurance quote today or a consultation. Um, he's our friend. He's one of our good friends. And he's uh, one of the good guys. He's trustworthy. He's going to keep it real with you guys. So that's 214-729-6462. Mention Six Pennies Podcast, and he may give you a discount. All right, Mock, any negative feedback or anything you didn't like about The Last Dance episodes one and two? There's nothing I didn't like other than maybe the timing. Like, I would love I'm, – I'm on a five-day YouTube TV free trial right now. So it would have been awesome if, you know, all 10 came out and you could just binge watch it. But, I mean, there's definitely some – well, a lot of strategies of how they're releasing it, right? Uh, keeping everyone on the hook, two episodes at a time. It seems like a lot, two hours, but it, it flies by. Like, I, I yeah. can't get enough of it, you know? Yeah, it flew by. Um, a lot of NBA Twitter, especially people who work in the NBA, they got, you know, uh, early screenings of the, of the documentary. Oh. So a lot of them watched it. But then when oh. they watched it again on Sunday night, they watched it again after because they showed it on ESPN two after that. So um, it was a very captivating, very very captivating documentary for me. Any negative feedback? I would just say um, I wish they didn't have Michael Jordan be the final approval 
of like what gets to be seen and what gets to be aired because I would have loved to seen just like everything all yeah. of it not True. yeah not just not just one or two digs at Jerry Krause but I wanted to see everything right um okay so Timmy episode one really goes into kind of like the the background of Michael Jordan and his competitive drive um his will to win I think one of the the cool anecdotes was when he came in as a rookie by game three he was the leader he didn't want to lose and he he uh I think it was a, a comeback against the Bucks, right, in Chicago in overtime or something like that. And the new kid on the block became the leader. After game three, he was already the last person that was introduced before every game as a rookie. Like, that's that's impressive. What do you remember from episode one to me? Uh, I, I think back even further back, I, I love how they went into the backstory of him and his brother uh, being yeah. inspired and motivated and challenged all the time to be the best, to be better than his brother. But then I, I love the UNC stuff. I, I mean, Mock is repping yeah. UNC today, uh, and I'll be too, actually, in this hat. And it's just uh, it's some incredible quotes there. Um, I, yeah. I don't know if you guys have, like, top quotes, but two of the top ones were from the UNC portion. For me, it was uh, James Worthy said he was better than him when he came for about yeah. two weeks. And then Roy Williams, man. Roy Williams might be the MVP of episode one. That guy can deliver a line, man. He said uh, he said something about Michael Jordan being the only guy that could have a switch to turn it on and off, but he never freaking did. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. It is going to be like an amazing recruiting tool moving forward for UNC and, and Roy Williams. But, I mean, who knows, with Jalen Green going straight to the G League, development, developmental league, maybe – NCA is done anyways. Uh, Mock, any thoughts with episode one? Uh, I just like the timing. Uh, like, like Timmy mentioned, the jumping back and forth uh, was unexpected, uh, but I did like a lot of the early stuff. So I, I wanted to ask you guys, like, I guess your background on just MJ in general uh, way back when, because my first memory, I think we talked about this in an earlier podcast, but my first NBA memory is like the 94 finals. So I, I didn't know, I don't, I didn't recall anything. We we're all born in 84, but I don't recall anything that happened before that point. Uh, so the first Jordan repeat is, is all documentary to me. Uh, so you don't, you don't remember the Bulls Sun series at all? No, I, I didn't know. I don't think I watched it. I, mm-hmm. I, I remember a lot of my childhood, but Specifically, yeah. the first NBA sports memory I remember is the 94 finals versus the Knicks, Knicks and Rockets. Uh, sure. So so I can't get like I said, I can't get enough of the early stuff because I, I just all I know about it is like some clips here and there and uh, and just what I've read about bad boys and all that stuff. So I'm excited about that part. But what about you guys? You I'll start to how- me before, yeah, before you can. Yeah, so I for some reason, I remember a lot of early Michael Jordan. Um, I remember the Portland final series where, you know, I actually don't remember the 6-3s watching that live, but I remember at that point at age eight or nine, I was already paying attention to, to the substitution patterns. And then I remember this really, really clearly because I was down in McAllen visiting my uncle during the finals. It was summer, right? Summer break. So we were down there for South Padre. Um, but anyways, every time I was like, yes, Phil Jackson is putting Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan back in together. And my dad and my <laughs> uncle would be like, what the heck? How do you know that? And I was like, just look at the scores table. They're just waiting there together. And I just remember that series, how um, it came in as like 
it literally was Michael Jordan and Clyde Drexler. And, and I know you guys are both from Houston, but Clyde Drexler at the time was lit, regarded as the second best two guard. And some right. people probably regard him as the best. And so that matchup, that premier matchup was really awesome to see. And like Michael Jordan just dominated. But that one game that I do remember from Portland, I think they ended up losing that game in Portland. So, mm. yeah. Go ahead, Timmy. Sorry. No, oh, it's okay. Um, you know how sometimes you think about things in your childhood, or in this case, in the NBA, and like you've either seen it in other ways before so many times, or you've heard about it so many times, or you've, you can like rewatch all the scenes in your head. But sometimes I think about it, and I'm just like, wait, it, do I remember myself actually in the moment, or do I just remember like looking mm-hmm. at it outside afterwards and talking about it, thinking about it? That's how I feel about Jordan here, because like Mock, like, I have a very distinct memory in 94 finals of celebrating in my home with like some family friends. Sorry. Sorry to bring that up again. But I also, I also remember like 92, 93, like the Suns game. I I remember like the six threes kind of, but again, it's kind of blurring in my mind if I actually remember like the being there or if I just remember it afterward, after the fact. Yeah. For me, it's because I remember the context of where I was. So yeah. like the 92 finals, I remember because I was in South Padre. The 93 mm-hmm. finals, I remember watching the game in a Chili's. The reason why <laughs> I remember that is because I didn't have cable. And so before the game, it was on ESPN. I was just like glued to ESPN, right? We were at our table, but I was like standing at the bar at like a nine-year-old kid just staring at the ESPN. But the whole drama leading up to it was Michael Jordan's gambling addiction, like mm. going up to it and how he like was a bad teammate. It was the narrative going into one of those games. It was a later game, like four or five was that, you know, he's a bad teammate. And then when I left the restaurant, it was like the third quarter and the Bulls had between 60 to 70 points and Jordan had 30 plus and then I remember the guy next to me who was an adult. He was like, yeah, no way they're going to lose. Jordan already has 30 plus. He has half their points. Like, this is over. And I just remember that really vividly <laughs> in the Chili's. Man. And also, as, want- as a kid, I mean, we didn't really eat out often. So I kind of remember oh, every single true. time we ate out. <laughs> I want my baby back, baby, back, baby. <laughs> Man. Uh, the other part that I liked was uh, the Celtics game. I guess his his breakout games or in the playoffs uh, in his second season. That was his second season, right? So all, well, season. all the injury all the injury stuff was amazing. We can talk about that in a second, but mm-hmm. the Celtics game and just some of the um, all the people talking in that one, like Ainge and Bird, uh, Bird's quote, uh, you know, his famous quote about uh, God being disguised as Michael Jordan. But those those highlights, man, it's just incredible to see that guy. He was like twenty two years old, right? incredible it was like he was playing at a different speed no three-pointers either yeah everyone else looked like really slow and obviously like I don't want to hate on the era because I mean I I'm a big proponent on the evolution of like athletes today they're just bigger stronger faster but I mean at the time those are the most athletic guys in the world and Jordan's just making them look like yep Joe Joe Schmo so I mean that's super super impressive out of him did you guys have like um, Michael Jordan playground and Michael Jordan hang time, like those videos growing up? Because those NBA stars, they would have like one hour video specials where they like go through a training thing with you. Oh yeah, you had that? Yeah, so, oh, I, so I had Michael Jordan playground and I just remember watching, I watched it like religiously obviously, but I remember him going 
when he broke his foot in 86 and like the the pool scene where he goes and like he runs through the pool and he makes cuts in the pool and that's how he like regains his foot strength but i didn't know um before this documentary that he had convinced the bulls that he was leaving the organization going to chapel hill and you know rehabbing from chapel hill i mean that's that's pretty sick yeah that's pretty sick because i mean if you think about it let's say you're michael jordan you're already the king of the campus right you leave early and then you return in two years you're still the king of the campus (laughs) like it's awesome (laughs) yeah i i love those stories about like the chapel hill stories about him playing five on five behind their backs when he shouldn't have been playing at all just rehabbing um it's it's just crazy to think about and and I think uh, one thing that, from just a basketball standpoint, that really stuck out to me is just just the mid range and how how odd it is to see just the barrage like that again. You know, I think in 2020 now it's you don't see that. Uh, and it's, I mean, you'll it's see- so recent, right? This change right. of no mid range, it's so still very recent. It's like yeah, seven years and, or something, right? And and we're so impressed. You know, his 63 points without attempting a three pointer, but man, I. I for me, as a as a Houston fan, like I don't even remember the last time I saw a legit mid range, like on purpose, you know. <laughs> uh, maybe last time was like Carmelo when when he was here for a couple months. Uh, so part of me just wants to like bring back that part of the game, uh, just because it does open up the entire floor. And like, yeah, three is greater than two and all that. But man, if if you, if you incorporate mid range into your game, you're really unstoppable if if you have that. I mean, you guys had Chris Paul, mid-range master. Yeah, but he but he changed his game and he shot a ton yeah, of threes. He did shoot a ton of But, but well. I completely yeah, agree. Right. I mean, a lot of that for Chris Paul, his effectiveness was because he had the balance where he was able to dominate in the mid-range. And that allowed him, you know, that that, that changes what the defense is going to do, right? The defense can't just expect one thing. Um, I, I'm just curious what you guys would think if Jordan, I mean, we, we don't know, right? But do you think Jordan could have been a... a serviceable three-point shooter if he played in today's game or would he be very good or not good at all what is serviceable uh average is 35 percent do you think you'd be like 35 plus yeah on on like but, five three but a game? how many oh five yeah i mean yeah. he never took more than like two or three probably a game right i mean it, in my memory, right, just goes back to, like, the videos I've seen about the six threes against Portland and all that. Like, he had that in his game. I just, it's just the era. Like, no yeah. one was shooting that many threes back then, right? Uh, or do, I you think think, he, do you think he'll just be really stubborn like DeMar DeRozan, who's a, <laughs> you know, current-day star who had sure. the ability to shoot threes in Toronto, and now he, he doesn't at all, right? He's, yeah, yeah. He's, he's taken, like, one or two the entire year. I, I just think Jordan was so good at everything that he would have been more than serviceable from three. And he would have, you know, he would have caught on to the trend. Like, I don't know that he would have shot as many as James Harden, but he would have shot enough. Um, I Yeah, it, it's the whole era thing that you're talking about, though, right? Like, these players just play a totally different game. You just can't even compare them at this point. Yeah, I mean, from a, um, from a technique and form standpoint, I think obviously he can do it. The yeah. only thing he would have to improve is just the arc. Because he's always yeah, had, like, a flat shot, so... Sure. Yeah. It wouldn't be a problem. Yeah, I mean, if Jason Kidd could do it, then definitely Michael sure. Jordan can do it. Bruce so Tillman. what was one thing from episode one where, um, I guess, you, you something came to light that you didn't know about? 
was it Kraus? Is it Phil Jackson? Yeah, I mean, the I, I don't remember remember at this point the blur between episodes one and two. We might as well talk about both of them. Um, Kraus, we've always I've always kind of known him as the bad guy, the guy that the players and coaches never liked. But his line with Phil, um, where he said he was out, or I don't know if he said it, he he um, said that Phil was going to be done with the season no matter what, even if they went eighty two and zero. I yeah. mean, whew, um, just truly no value given at all to the coach, like. He definitely deserves a ton of credit because he got Pippen and Grant, which is humongous. And, of course, he got Phil. He got, like, the coach. He built a great team multiple times. But um, just that that one move with Phil plus the whole Scotty thing, which we're I'm sure we're going to get into really quickly, yeah. um, that's, that's pretty bad for him. And, unfortunately, he passed away a couple years ago. It would be so interesting to hear wow. his side of the story. Yeah. Yeah, rest in peace. It's a very, very interesting dynamic, right? If you take one power – the head coach, Phil Jackson, the owner, Reinsdorf, and the GM, Kraus. So Phil, Phil Jackson and, and Kraus hated each other, and Kraus wanted to bring someone in. And this is leading into that final season, and Phil Jackson's like, F you. So he goes back home to Montana. And then behind the back, the owner flies to Montana mm-hmm. to meet with Phil Jackson to then get that contract and sign him for one year. Like, just... That love triangle is just so crazy. Like, there's no way that could have been, um, like, okay in today's social media age, right? Reinsdorf comes off looking really good in this doc. I don't don't know what you guys think. But, like, everything he does and says, it's pretty good. Like, he talks about the contracts and how he told both Jordan and Pippen, like, these are bad contracts, you shouldn't take them. (laughs) Did he really say that? Like, would anybody ever say anything like that? Yeah. And then that that one move to get Phil. But he's the one that brought on Kraus. Like, what yeah. were Kraus, like what were Kraus's credentials? They said he played. He was like a scout for baseball. I wish I looked it up before. He obviously didn't play any professional sports just yeah, because of his build. But how, how did he get the job? You're a general manager of a professional NBA basketball team. Like that is, that's not like small. That's not a small job. Even though yep. Chicago was in the doldrums um, in the early '80s. At that point, they had Michael Jordan already. So they bring in Kraus, and it's like, wow, how did you get that job? I definitely give Kraus credit for building what he did and, and also for taking a lot of the crap, even though it was maybe some of it's, uh, it's, it was a lot of back and forth that we don't see. But he took a lot of crap in just those first two episodes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My only question is, like, why do you think Kraus was so obsessed with rebuilding? Like, yeah. Why? Like you're five championships in, and and you're, why, like, why did he? You think it was just a pride thing? Like he wanted to show that he could rebuild after MJ. Like, like they're in the middle of going for six in eight yeah. years. Like it's insane to think about. Just to play devil's advocate, so all of us hate Kraus, including me. Obviously, he broke up the the dynasty prematurely. But if you think about like. Sure, he had the wrong intentions because of his hatred for certain individuals, especially Pippen. But if you think about today, that's what a GM would do. If a star is in his last year of the deal and he hasn't made any commitments to you, you're going to take calls for offers. You're going to look at trying to get the best value and not letting your superstar at that point, Scotty Pippen, walk away for free. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Handling Pippen that way, I think, is is probably the the way things should have been done and would be done now. I mean, the organization could have done something else. So like you said, like they could have just paid him. But the part about Phil doesn't make sense to me because of that dynasty that they're building, right? They're, they're on championship number five. It's different from when a team, like, wins and then doesn't. Like like Dallas in 2011, right? Like they they traded Chandler right away, right? Um, just didn't didn't go for it because they knew a lot of their players were older. But this is this is number Coach. five. It, yeah. This is not just like one that like one lucky one or or even two. This is five, and you still have the best player in the world. It it really doesn't make sense that they would be that he would be not trying to get Phil out of there already. Um, it might be like you said, like a pride thing. I don't th- yeah. I don't know if it's necessarily about like hey to show like I can rebuild. But it's more just like hey, I don't want you to have the power um, to say, like, I'm going to pay you the most money. I, I feel like that was part of it for his, you know, small man syndrome there that they kept talking about. The episode did get into while Phil was coach. So from 87 to, at that point, 97, um, the salaries did change. So when yeah. when Phil did come in, the general manager got paid more. But then by the time it was, like, the early to mid-90s, the yeah. coach is more valuable and the coach is starting to pay more. And I, I think yeah. that just rubbed Jerry Krause the wrong way because he's like, well, I gave this guy the opportunity. True. I brought him in as an assistant coach and now yeah. he's uh, he's getting paid way more than I do and he's getting all the credit. So, yep. yeah. So let's get into Pippin. So that's what the, the focus of episode two was about. Scotty Pippin and his salary situation, his team dynamic. Um, but I want to get into just the beginning first. So I personally was very impressed. He came in as a what, equipment manager uh, at his, you know, Division Central, II college. Central Arkansas or something, yeah. Central yeah, Arkansas. Central Arkansas. Yep. And first of all, like, how do you recruit Scotty Pippen? He's not even playing on your team. Someone gets injured. He then asks for a scholarship. He gets it. And oh, then crazy growth spurt, too, in the middle there. Well, no, no, no. Like, I think he, I think, I think he got the growth spurt after that. Yeah, I, oh, I think after, he got the scholarship. Yeah, I think because he asked freshman for it, he got and it. sophomore. Yeah. yeah, and then he went from six one to six five or whatever. Yeah, I think it was five ten to six three. But yeah, I mean, if you think about it, a lot of this the NBA stars have the same story, like whether it's high school or college, but they grow like five inches in the summer and they yeah, have guard like they have guard like skills. Yeah, I mean, Jordan had the same thing. They, yeah. they mentioned it. Yeah. But, that, too. but that was junior year of high school. This is sophomore year of college, which is like oh, pretty right. late growth spurt. True. Yeah. yeah. But how impressed were you guys with just uh, Scotty Pippen's arc from basically no recruiting to the fifth, I think, overall pick of the draft and then eventually arguably becoming, you know, the top two player in the NBA? I'll start with you, Timmy. I know you, you're a big Pippen guy. Oh, am I a big Pippin guy? Um, you are. <laughs> as a, as a Rocket fan, uh, we we do not like Scottie Pippin as a a general rule um, because of what he did to the Rockets when he when he came after after all this stuff was done. He came and he got a big contract and a sign and trade, and he just didn't perform the way he was supposed to. Um, Scotty Quinton, we started calling him, and Jeez. I think. Uh, yeah, you didn't know that. It, a bit of a negative I have, rep. In- I have zero memory of Scottie Pippen in Houston. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, you shouldn't. You're it was lucky, one season. Yeah. yeah, it was one season. It, oh, it was it only one good. year? Yeah, it was only one year, and then he went to Portland. We got six scrubs for him, I think, um, which is not bad. We got Kelvin Cato out of it, right? And Stacey Ogman, a couple guys. Um, but, like, 
looking back, I mean, we, we all knew Pippen was incredible. He's he's the best sidekick that there ever was at the time. At okay. At, at the time, right? We, we'll, we'll talk about we'll talk about Clay. Um, but Pippen was incredible because of what he could do, really, on the defensive end of the floor. It, I, yeah. I don't know if you guys um, remember distinctly, like his. His, his highlights are like the dunk on Ewing, right? And it's, right. Um, you know, helping block uh, Charles Smith four times. But like his defense, just like regular defense, he was just all over the court all the time. Yeah. I think the the, um, the the 97 finals, he like had the steal to set up Tony Kukoc that, that finished the series. Um, yeah, he actually, guarded, he actually guarded, he guarded everybody. the best player more than Michael Jordan did. For sure. I mean, he guarded the best player no matter what position they were almost. And yeah. I mean, in today's game, he would probably be a stretch four. He had incredible um, vision and handle for, for a big guy like that. And like we mentioned before, because he was a guard in the first place. He's an incredible player. And I think he comes off looking incredible in this documentary, too. Like, part of it is because he just seems cool now. Um, I know he's on, like, the jump and stuff. But, like, in his interviews, the, the way he talks, I, I think it's pretty cool. Um, I, I still have negative feelings towards him as a Rockets fan. But right. he, he comes off looking pretty good. Mark, how do you feel? I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. I, I've never <laughs> been high on Scotty Pippen, even back in 95 through 98 wow. before, before we got him. Uh, so for, for me, like – I'm interested in the rest of the documentary just to see if like my views on that or my opinions on him will change. Is he, yeah, he was part of the, you know, arguably the greatest duo ever. Right. Uh, but arguably, I think I, is, okay. Let's, let's talk about that now then. Like I, I know you're higher, you're, you're up here in terms of Pippin. I'm probably down here. I think, I think Albert's, down here with me somewhere Whoa, maybe a little wow. but uh but albert why don't you kind of explain where you where you view pivot yeah we talked about this offline mock but the the things that really are against pippin in my opinion are he's never won being the number one player on the team i'm sure the bulls won 55 games the year after jordan retired and they made it to eastern conference finals but i mean the team was already good and they had the best coach in the world so Mm. Was the team good at that time, though? I mean, the team won 55 games, so they're still yeah, yeah. Good. But, but who else was on the team? It was Horace Grant and Tony Kukoc? That's it. B.J. Armstrong. Yeah, I know. But yeah, so Pippen was to me never a winner, being the number one option. Um, he he uh, he's never won an MVP, and of course, I'm I'm grading Pippen on the top tier scale. So I was telling Mock like. Um, it's similar to how Bill Simmons kind of breaks up the Hall of Fame, but to me, there's tiers, right? So top tier, obviously Mount Rushmore, Jordan, Magic, Kareem, etc. Second tier to me would be um, champions or finals MVPs or regular season MVPs or any combination of that. So you might have Iverson as a bottom second tier guy because he won fi- uh, regular season MVP. But to me, like out of individual accolades, Pippen doesn't have any of that. I think you know, he has all-star games. He has all NBAs. Um, there was a great graphic during the docuseries about how he was like, Jordan was first in points and first in something, but Pippen was first in everything else. Like, sure, he was super versatile. But to me, like, when, when I watched him play from my memory, um, like, he was good, but it is like, he was good because he was an athletic freak with, like, a seven-foot wingspan. 
I, I didn't feel like he had great handles. He, you know, he had great assist numbers, maybe like five to seven assists, but I didn't feel like he was like, wow, an amazing passer of the ball. It's just a, a easier read where like Bill Wennington's wide open for a dunk or something. Um, but there are things about him that I do remember that are positive. I think he's one, he was ahead of his time in terms of like transition pull-up threes. Nobody did that other than Pippen back in the day, from what I remember. Of course, I didn't watch any of like the, the scrub teams, and I'm, I'm sure those players did it, but Pippen as a star was already doing it. Um, and, and then you're right, being 6'8", long, lengthy, basically he's a Kawhi on defense, but then like he's, I don't know, what would you put him on offense, like a Draymond Green? Wow. Or is he better? That's pretty bad. I mean, I feel like they do similar things. If you take out the body type, like, get that out of your head, and you just put them, like, these are your roles, this is your responsibility, Scotty. This is your responsibility, Dr- Draymond. On offense, I feel like it's very similar. I, I feel like you're really, you guys are both kind of under underrating the 94-95 seasons. Like, going to 55 wins... And he was the clear number one guy in that year, right? In 94 and most of 95. It's, it's, a, it's a different thing, I guess, when we say, like, hey, your, your team only, you know, it only has so many good players or whatever. But, like, if you're clearly the but I, best I player, think, yeah, you can so still think, get to that many wins. I think we all agree that he's a Hall of Famer. I think the discussion is how high is he on the list? So I think Mock and I believe he's a top, Mug, I don't know where you think, but I think he's around a top 50 player. But I don't know, Timmy, like how uh, high do you go? We'd have to make the list to, to know that. But I, I, I definitely wouldn't put him like in the top 20 or even 25. I, I would say he's more in the from maybe the 30s. Um, I, I guess the discussion that we have is, you know, when you're talking about ranking the guys in the pyramid of the Hall of Fame, if you're, if mm-hmm. you're talking about like the individual accomplishments and all that, the thing about Scotty is that it, it wasn't about the individual accomplishments, right? Like we, we can't say that he won any championships by himself because he had Jordan for six of them, but he also won six championships with Jordan and Jordan never won without him. Like Jordan says in the documentary, I mean, those are important things when we're talking about like the best, especially when we're talking about the best duos too. Like you have guys that are incredible on their own that could carry a team by themselves who even won together. You have like magic green. You obviously have Shaq and Kobe, which might be the best. Um, but like in terms of, the multitude of winning for the two guys together. That's Jordan and Pippen, six championships together. And then, um, I mean, the individual stuff, like he has plenty of accolades. You mentioned the All-Star Games, the All-NBAs. He's right up there, I think. And the complimentary uh, nature that he played with Jordan, that's that's huge too. The fact that those I guys did is, everything together. Yeah. That, I think that's the biggest skill for him is he compliments Michael Jordan perfectly. Yeah. Um, because they were both so versatile. They were both so athletic and long and fast. They could play positions one through four, and Pippen maybe guarded centers at, at times. But I would, so one another thing I want to say is, if you if you just take the '90s NBA's era, NBA era, and you take like the top five players, so you have Michael and Scotty, and I don't know Charles, Hakeem, whoever. I think Michael would have won with any of the other top five players. But if you reverse that, I don't think Pippen would have won with the others. Pippen needed Jordan. Uh, I, I guess I, I'm not. I'm not debating that he is a top five player or that he is like, like Pippen. That he could Pippen carry needed the, the Pippen, Pippen needed the greatest of all time to win. But if he just had like a Charles Barkley, I don't think Pippen would have won. 
Mm. It's interesting. I guess that's something to think about. Like, who else could he have had by his side? I mean, he did have Charles Barkley and Hakeem Olajuwon, and that's not worked out. <laughs> Can't believe I'm trying to defend this guy. <laughs> yeah, that's your right here on this podcast. The docuseries does paint him in an awesome light, right? Like he, to me, that is the best line of the entire first two episodes is, I don't want to F up my summer, or I don't want to F up my summer. Um, and then followed by the worst line was when Jordan said he was being selfish. I was like, what? Let's talk about Pippen, that. Let's talk about Pippen that. Is, Pippen is getting paid like $4 million a year, and he's, Jordan's getting Who's, paid 30 plus. How is Pippen how being guys, selfish? Uh, how do you he, guys feel about the contract situation? He, he could still be being selfish even though he's underpaid, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he, those things aren't I, mutually exclusive. They're both true. I mean, Jordan was underpaid too all the way until 96, 96 97, 98, right? He didn't get $30 million until then. He also yeah. had the long contract, like Reinsdorf said, that was underpaying him. And, and you know, we, we talked about it before, like salaries were going up. They signed the bad contracts. This happened in 2016 too, right? For for guys that signed it right before, John Wall got upset because um, you know the the max contracts went way up the roof. Uh, you, you can't do yeah, anything Steph, about that. Steph was a great deal for a while, and you're right. It, it all happened because of the Dream Team, the Olympics, and all the money that fused into the league afterwards. No one predicted the salary cap situation, and all the money to be pouring into the league at that time. But Michael Jordan had the off the court endorsements and money like he wasn't worried about his on-court salary but to call like i mean his basketball best friend selfish i mean it did it didn't rub me the right way classic mj man (laughs) let's let's talk about the scheduling though like how pippen did not want to f of the summer and and wanted to do all his rehab during the year when Kyrie irving man it's 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 questionable to say the least like selfish maybe not but uh it's questionable the timing right like he did it as an fu to management yes but i i think if we were in any of the bull shoes especially michael jordan like you'd feel a certain type of way if if you knew this guy didn't want to screw up his summer and, and wanted to just hang out and whatever and then wait until the season and, and they're struggling in the season, you know. Uh, I guess obviously they need him. Uh, he's a big yeah. part of the team. Uh, but the timing, timing kind of sucked. And that, that's part of the thing that I didn't remember from way back in 98. Like I said, like you mentioned, I didn't have cable back then. All, I had to wait, like, for Fox Sports Sunday uh, to, to see, like, 30 minutes of NBA coverage or, or read everything in the Houston Chronicle, the newspaper. Inside stuff on Saturday mornings. Yeah. Like, with the like it's such a limited yeah. thing, that such limited uh, information back then. Uh, so, yeah, the, all this stuff is, is kind of new yeah. for me, like, especially the seven-year contract. I don't remember that at all yeah. back then. No, and I, I love that they got into the backstory of him, why he needed to take it, right? He had 12 siblings. He had people to it's take crazy. care of his, his dad and his yeah. brother, and it's – you know, it makes sense, right? You have a chance to make a couple million bucks. At the time, that's that's a ton of money compared to, you know, nowadays, of course. You, you got to take it. A, um, such a crazy story, right? Like, yeah, his dad had a stroke. And, I mean, that's that's not uncommon. But yeah. his second second oldest brother. brother getting in a fight in school and then getting paralyzed, that's insane. That's oh, crazy. That's yeah. Yeah. Man. I can't wait for more. I can't believe that we have to wait a whole week every time. That's that's the craziest thing. Like right after so it's done, brilliant. I was like, okay, cool. We'll we'll watch it again soon. But it's a whole week. What are we gonna do? Especially so now, best, a week is longer. Yeah, it was the best. It was the best ratings for ESPN since the national championship game. 
Which oh, national wow. champion? Since uh, college football? College, yeah. Mm. And it was the best rating for a documentary ever, right? ESPN documentary? Yes, yes, by far. Yeah. All right. Albie, you got to leave, right? I do have to leave. Uh, one last question. Um, so what do you guys expect in episodes three and four this coming Sunday? Mock, what about you? I, I'm expecting bad boys. I think they teased it, and I'm, I'm very interested in those couple of years because um, – yeah, I've only seen a few clips here and there. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, if if it follows the pattern, uh, they went to Pippin first and, and kind of talked about his entire, um, uh, you know, from start to finish for him. That means that Rodman is next with Bad Boys. Um, and at some sure. point, there's, I mean, they, they got to go through the main characters, right? So they've yeah. already, of course, Jordan is every episode, but they did Pippin. Rodman's got to be up there, and the Phil is is got to be there too. So. I don't know if it's Rodman or Phil first, but I feel like at least one of them this week. So I don't want to hate on this guy, but it's so funny that in all the marketing graphics and pictures, Steve Kerr is in it now. Yeah. But back in back in yeah. like 97, 98, like Steve Kerr was, I mean, nah, he was nothing. a bench player and he hit a really big shot. But without this Warriors run, like Steve Kerr would not be part of. You're talking, man. You know, Jordan, best, Pippen, Phil Jackson, and Steve Kerr is right there too. Best like, three-point shooter of all time. All you time. know who's getting you know who's getting slandered is Ron Harper. Ron Harper was really underrated at the time. He came yeah, really he came from Clippers. Cleveland. He came from Cleveland as a star, and I only know this because I had his ba- a basketball card. He was averaging Clippers. He was on Cleveland no, four. Cleveland, yeah. But he was averaging like mid twenties. He yeah. was a top scorer, and he comes to the Bulls, and he's literally just the guy that brings the ball up the court and then guards the other big guard. And like plays defense, that's yeah. yeah, that's an amazing number five option. <laughs> yeah, man, he came, he came, he started with Cleveland, and then he was on the Clippers when he was uh, right before this averaging twenty points game. But the cool, cool thing about him was he wasn't even a point guard on those teams. He was the shooting mm-hmm. guard, and then he became yeah. the point guard just because they didn't need they, they needed a point yeah. guard, so he just. He gets another instance. Another instance of how this team was kind of ahead of its time. There were no positions. First team to really play small ball because Rodman during crunch time was the five, was the center. Yeah, two coach. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, uh, there's so much like awesome, amazing content. I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait to do the next podcast with you guys. Uh, Can you can you close this out with Billy Loan Factory, Timmy? Yeah, Billy at Loan Factory is one of our favorites. Um, he's got 15 years of experience uh, in the real estate industry, and he's going to help you out in uh, financing or refinancing your home. They do all sorts of uh, loans, traditional or non-traditional. They have 40 or 50 different lenders that they turn to um, to get you the best rates. And uh, now's a pretty hot time. I know they're very busy. Uh, Billy and his team are based in Dallas, Texas, uh, but I think they can help you out with with uh, with your loan anywhere. Uh, yep. To reach Billy, uh, you can check him out at facebook.com slash loanfactoryhq. His phone number is 469-585-4498, and he's available pretty much anytime. So give him a call, send him a text. Once again, that's Billy Nguyen uh, with Loan Factory, 469-585-4498. And uh, we'll be back next time. I, I can't wait, man. This is a good series for us. Um, it's bring your, your MJ memorabilia every week. i got to step that up. Yeah, right, later, guys. Later, man.